Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, it's Allison. We're back with the um, Q&A and it's been a while. So thank you for your patience and thank you for your questions. So good to be back. I'm going to try to do this with um, the outdoor lawn care people blowing leaves and doing whatever they're doing out there because I've been waiting all day and if I wait any longer I'm not going to get this done so I apologize in advance if there's some background noise and given that uh, we're starting the summer season chances are our spring summer season that's going to be the new normal so what the heck we'll just plow through uh here's my first question um this comes from somebody who had taken my anxiety webinar um if you've signed up for any of my webinars thank you fantastic uh, i have another one coming up depending on when you listen to this i have one um, on power struggles later in this month but uh, definitely sign up for my newsletter so that you can get alerted to when my webinars are so she had said uh, thank you for your great workshop on parenting kids with anxiety it was very helpful we had a couple of really specific things that happened this morning with our seven-year-old daughter that are good examples of the kind of behavior we've been dealing with lately. She's got high anxiety, which we're working on using your webinar tools, but lately her go-to pattern seems to be very Jekyll and Hyde. She turns on a dime from lovely and sweet to picking a fight with us to exploding. First, while her dad was making his coffee, she asked him to play catch in the backyard. He said he would love to as soon as he finished making his coffee. In less than a minute, she went from whining that he was taking forever to getting screaming mad, throwing the ball across the room and storming away. An hour later, she began whining and yelling at me for not buying the kind of bread she likes. I calmly told her I was sorry we didn't have the kind she liked, but I didn't have time to drive across town to get it from the bakery. She responded by screaming at me, yes, you did have time, and throwing a bowl across the kitchen, running to her room and slamming the door so hard that it broke it. We left her to calm down in her room and eventually she came back out admitting to and apologizing for breaking the door and we involved her in the process of fixing it. We discussed for the umpteenth time how it's okay to feel upset but not to scream and break things. I'd love to know why she thinks 
um, she gets into this pattern. We never cave when she acts in a whiny, demanding or entitled way. And we spend lots of good one on one time with her uh, where she can be in charge and dictate the direction of her play. But holy cow, we feel like our days are full of booby traps that we keep falling into without knowing they're there until she loses her mind on a hair trigger again. And the other thing I'd love to know is what to do in the moments when she's escalating like this, even though we stay cool and calm as Buddha, while she starts escalating, we can't seem to avoid her screaming at us and doing something destructive with her anger. Um, okay, so let me see if I can help you out a little bit from what's provided here. Um, the What's interesting to me or what I'm trying to cobble together here is this is a child who is demonstrating to you demanding behavior. And, um, and I would agree she might be setting a trap in so much as um, every child operates from a, a basic belief system that we all have this rubric of life and, and in Adlerian terms that we have more than one, but like the, the general rubric goes something like I am blank, blank, blank. The world is blank, blank, blank. Others are blank, blank, blank. And therefore blank, blank, blank. How do I how do I deal? How do I behave? How do I how do I cope? How do I respond? What do I do with that? And so I'm trying to get inside her private logic and how she sees the world. And it sounds to me like she has a a sense that she needs to. I'm guessing here because I can't run it past her. But you know we always do our best in the podcast format. But there's there's this is what we mean about demanding and entitled attitudes. So why does she ask Dad? to to um go out and play right when he's making coffee is that on a pre-conscious level she strategically set him up so that she he would say no to her and maybe that that would then reinforce her idea that see you know i'm unimportant uh the world doesn't care about me uh, others think that i'm uh, less important than their details of life uh and and therefore i have to like demand to be in people's take take people's time and attention and and make them pay for ignoring me or whatever could be there's something in there where she really has this idea that I should be able to ask for things and you should respond immediately and you should respond in exactly the way that I want you to respond and if you don't I'm going to make you pay for it with my my bad mood my screaming my yelling my you know um my explosion and, uh, you know, yes, you did have time and, and why are you taking forever? And she's really complaining that life isn't unfolding the way she wants life to unfold. So she's she's probably got some some private logic that things should go the way that she wants all the time. And um, and she's got some low social interest in terms of she's still not opening her eyes to the needs of the situation and looking around and realizing that lots of people want to help her out and do what she would like and buy bread and play basketball and ball and things but other people have timelines and priorities and she's not always number one now it could be that when you said later here when you said there's lots of time when we have one-on-one -on -one time where we let her be in charge and we dictate the direction of her play um could it be and i don't know but could it be that there's so much where she is allowed to direct the play and the action where if she asks for it nicely and she asks for it sweetly and like can we have this for dinner and will you mommy you sit in that chair and no 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 daddy you turn off the light and i want i want um this teddy bear to be beside me has she dictated so much of the action in your household that she's come to the expectation that that's the way life should be and the minute her way is thwarted 
She gets incredibly upset about it as if it's some incredible injustice. Um, so I think what we need to do here is to, to move her in line with common sense that says, it's frustrating to be part of a group, isn't it? And this is part of my idea of how to calm her down too. But I want her to increase her social interest and I want her to increase her, her frustration tolerance that you, you, you always get a say, but you don't always get your way. And um, so, you know, you've said, I don't cave when she gets upset like this. But what I'm suggesting is I would like you to also set barriers when she's in a good mood and don't give her special dispensation. So um, hold up your space in the family, hold up your husband's space in the family. You're even allowed to say, I don't want to play baseball. I'm not going across town. I don't like, you know, this is the only bread we're going to buy. You're allowed to hold bigger boundaries and take up more space. Um, she, she's not benefiting from feeling like she's a member of the group. She's, um, she's sort of ruling the roost as, as it were. So in terms of her going off the handle then, um, I would, I would say that we, what we want to do is stay calm. Sounds like you're doing that. You said that you're almost like Buddha-esque, which is great. I would just check in around that and say, when you're being calm, are you also present? Because one mistake we make is sometimes in get, keeping ourselves calm, we kind of get cold and stony. We turn off our emotions so that we don't scream. And she might be perceiving that as a disconnect. So I would say be calm. Make sure you're connecting, looking in her eyes, talking in a sweet voice, getting down to her eye level, rubbing her hand or her shoulders. And then I would just give her a small a little empathetic kind of listening back. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's frustrating when we have to wait for coffee. I know you have a special kind of bread and everyone likes it when, when things go the way you planned, but sometimes life throws you, you know, a curveball. And this is one of those days. Um, it's hard to know that life isn't always fair. And sometimes we have to wait. It's hard to know that we like things a certain way and things don't always go the way as planned. Life is frustrating. Living in families is frustrating. Just, you know, that kind of thing. Just reiterate, just re reiterating that and stating again the, that that is the, those are the facts of life. And, um, but then if she continues on, it is okay for you to say, um, you know, you don't have to be happy. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not trying to diminish her feelings. You don't need to be happy. But I would say that if you want to be in the common area of the house, um, then you need to have your social face on. And if you'd like to continue being upset about the injustices of the world that have rained down on you this morning, then that would be better in your bedroom. So the, the kitchen is a place where we all come together to be happy and social and chat and visit. And if you'd like to go have a blue funk and be upset about um, how things aren't going your way, absolutely have at it. But that would be better done in your bedroom or the living room or the TV room or something. And I would escort her out. I would say, it's you know, she's allowed to be mad, but she's not allowed to take down the family. And um, and see whether or not you can set a stricter boundary around around you know a good place to have a blue funk is um, is in your room not as a timeout not as a timeout but um, but you don't need to be the the witness and and the observant to her foul funky mood and if she continues and you can't move her then move yourself and just uh, just move on but you know what you you may you may do no better than her just freaking out that may be what she needs to do. And um, so be it. So be it. Um, sometimes you can't stop it. And that's okay. That's out of your control. The, the trouble is, or the question is, can you control your own emotional regulation standing in front of a dysregulated child? Um, she's, she's allowed to be upset. You don't have to stop that. 
So just re, just being calm, cool, collected and non-reactionary and accepting, but setting boundaries is it will be enough. And she's seven. She'll hopefully she'll start to get that as we start to change some of that private logic and that rubric and start to increase her social interest. So I, I hope that makes sense. Um, OK, next one. Can you talk about starting conversations with kids about sexual consent? Is 11 too early? Um, my daughter knows what sex means and she knows that it's for adults and needs to be consensual, but only at a high level in terms of knowing that both people need to agree to it. Not all the nuances of consent and pressure and what to do in the moment if you're uncomfortable, etc. I witnessed fellow moms of teenagers going through this um, as a tough time on the topic had me wondering. What is the recommended messaging and when is the right time to have these conversations? Well, so, you know, uh, talking about sexual consent is a subcategory of talking about consent in general. And I think from that perspective, we can start talking about consent from a very early age because it's really consent is about talking about establishing personal boundaries of what's okay and what's not okay for you. And so things like if grandma and grandpa want to give you a kiss when they come to the door at Christmas and you don't want to kiss them back, do you let your children set that boundary or do you uh, force them to kiss their grandparent? And I don't think a lot of people see it through that lens of a personal boundary. But if you've been told um, your little inner voice doesn't matter and uh, you need to conform to the social propriety with it says that grandparents kiss kids, um, then you might be somebody who takes that thought a little bit longer along the trajectory and says, um, you know, our society says that uh, couples need to be putting out or else you're going to lose your boyfriend or, you know, everybody's, everybody's doing it by grade seven. So, you know, why haven't you let this, you know, haven't you, haven't you found a boyfriend and necked yet? And we start getting into that, that pressure and, and whatnot. But that starts very young it starts and not just in the, in the consent of kissing, but even just um, when we tell kids to take another bite of food when they're not hungry, you know your body, you know when you're full. You should not override your relationship with your internal thought, your internal dialogue, your internal tuition, your spidey senses about things. So I think from the youngest age, we want our kids to be growing the, their awareness of themselves and not tuning that out and listening to the pressures of others around anything. And then as they're starting to come into puberty, absolutely 11 is, is not too young. Um, it, it, you know, it really depends on, uh, you know, what I think it's easier to talk to kids about anything sex related um, early because first it shows them that you are somebody who can talk about difficult topics and you don't get all panicked. And if you do get panicked, you can say, hey, you know what, sorry, I'm, I'm panicked. My parents didn't talk to me about this stuff. Um, just name it if that's the truth for you. Um, but it's about having lots of conversations, which is why I like what you're saying about the right time to have these conversations. And a lot of it can also be about like really getting your child to open up and talk. And, and one uh, way that you can do that is by saying, you know, so are people in your age and grade, you know, starting to have relationships and starting to have Hold, holding hands and, and kissing and getting sexual with one another in your grade. Tell me a little bit about that. And if they, if, if when they talk, you just go, Oh, Oh, okay. That, well, that's interesting. I'm always here to talk about those things. If that, if you can just prove to them that you're a safe person to come to, that's the first starting thing. And then you can start asking just curiosity questions. You know, have you, um, you know, are people feeling pressured? Do people see things on Instagram that make them feel like they're supposed to be doing things? And how do you feel about that? 
So you want to ask a lot of curiosity questions and then you can insert your knowledge once you've established that you've got a safe place to talk and that your child can share with you what's going on for them and that you're not there to correct or moralize. You're just there to add some of your your wisdom and education. And you might say something like, you know, well, I really hope in, that we can always talk about this and you can always come and, and, and chat with me about these things. But I think it's really important that um, every person on the planet is able to listen to listen and advocate for themselves. And there's nothing wrong if you're somebody who decides that you don't want to um, be hugging and holding and touching um, for, for many years later than other people do, that you don't make those decisions based on what you see on social media or what your friends are doing. It's really what you decide for yourself. And being willing to be courageous enough to, to speak up and advocate and say, you know what, I'm, I, I'm not okay with that yet. It's really about finding your voice. And if we're going to really walk the talk with that with our kids then, then we have to let them have their voice and not be pleasers or trying to be not being pleasers or having fear of rejection or having low self-esteem. That all happens in those original relationships in the family. So are there things that you do in your parenting that makes your child act more in a pleasing manner? Uh, do your kids maybe think there is some conditionality to your love that they have to impress you? Like, oh, I know mom and dad really, or mom and mom, dad and dad, whatever your family configuration is. Um, I know that they would be really impressed and, and they it would be really important if I got A's. Um, and so I'm going to do that for them as opposed to my joy of, of learning. Or, um, you know, if I you know, I don't want to rock the boat and stir the boat uh, because I'm afraid that if there's conflict that I'll get rejected um, and they would love me less. So I don't really like what they're uh, suggesting that I do, but I'm going to go along because I don't want to create conflict. If they're doing that in their relationships that are non-sexual relationships with you, they're still taking those implicit relationship rules and, and as they move into puberty and they start getting into relationships with others that become sexual, if they need to please, impress, and their fear of rejection, that's just going to roll over into their sexual life. So there's so much that we can do with our children in terms of modeling um, uh, healthy boundaries, high self-esteem, um, not trying to be the obedient child, uh, trying to win a parent's approval, but uh, rather being a, um, a cooperative, self-determined person who decides for themselves and we give them room for their for, for voice and reason. It's just it's just so important as they roll into those years. Um you know, back when I worked in the nursery school, we used to teach the kids a song called The Body Song by Peter Aslop. He's, you can follow him on, on YouTube. Um, um, but, you know, starting way back in the in the early days, I, I'm, I don't know if I can, have I sung this on the podcast before? I can't remember, but it, I won't remember this off the top of my head, but it's, it's basically, you know, um, no one knows my body better than me. It tells me I'm hungry. It tells me go pee. So don't hit me. Don't push me. Don't kick or shove. Don't squeeze me too hard when you show me your love. Sometimes it's hard to be strong and say no, but when those no feelings come, then I know something's wrong because my body's mine from my head to my toe. So leave it alone when you hear me say no. Which means if you've got a kid who says no when you were tickling them, you need to stop tickling them, right? Like we can't say, oh, don't be silly. I'm just joking around, right? 
um, you have to really start young with this idea of like, you know, your boundaries. And there are some kids that are very touchy feeling and other kids that are not. And we have to be okay with differences. We have to be okay with personal boundaries. And so that's the same with kicking the hugging, the, you know, um, uh, wanting privacy in the bathroom, whatever it might be. So, uh, yeah, start young, start early. It's never too early. And I absolutely think that you can start having conversations. I think, I think there's lots of, um, uh, sex educators that talk about simple things like, you know, consent is, is not one and done. For example, I think that's another important thing. It's not like, well, if the last time we got together, we necked, but this time I don't feel like it, you have to renegotiate it. Um, you know, it's, it's gotta be a co-created thing. And I think the movies do a terrible job. They never, they, they really don't show in, in when movies start to show sexual activity, they really don't show people asking for consent. So, uh, it's not modeled for our kids, which I think is really unfortunate. Um, but it's okay to say last time when we got together, I wanted to neck and this time I don't, or just because I let you touch this part of my body means that I'm now entitled to touch that part of your body. That's not true. Um, you, you, you do not need to reciprocate that way at all. All of those things need to be brokered and they can be, they can change from day to day and from mood to mood and from partnership to partnership. And it's whatever you feel right about and trusting yourself and speaking up and, and, um, uh, requiring a partner to respect those boundaries and working until you find somebody who does. Um, yeah. So there you go. Great question. Get, get, get at it. Um, all right. Here's our next one. Hi there. I just read your book, honey. I wrecked the kids, which I read a little too late because my kids are now 16 and 13. However, I, it really resonated with me as my eldest boy. And I seem to engage in power struggles. I realized that if I change my behavior, he gets tripped up and we don't engage in the regular dance. Fantastic. That's great. Um, my husband and I are finding it difficult as he is barely home. He is not honest with us, doesn't honor commitments, and we have uh, major trust respect issues. He refuses to go to therapy and hates to have any real conversations with us. We're looking for strategies to communicate with him that we need to work together and have boundaries because we are not a boarding house. Um, okay. Well, um, it sounds, it's fantastic that you have recognized that you're in power struggles. It's fantastic that you've recognized that when you do something differently, it brings about a different response in other people. Um, it sounds like he is barely home because at 16, he wants more privacy and a lot of kids expand their world. And why would you go home to um, relationships that aren't feeling very great when you can hang out with peers, which they're supposed to do, and maybe their peers' families, and he might be experiencing what it's like to, to be a hang out and watch and observe how other families operate. And, um, and so that's okay. You can't force him home and you can't force him to love you. Um, you got to find out how you might win him back. So we don't want to force obedience. We want to win compliance. You can't take the princess and, and put her up in the castle and say, I'm the king of the kingdom. You must love me. Uh, you can, you can enslave them. You can capture them, but you can't make them love them. That's the matter of the heart. And so we got to win back his heart. We got to win back the relationship. And, um, and that comes with rebuilding whatever has been a bit of a fracture in the relationship and if you've got trust and respect issues, likely he's got them too, which means what have you done? And I know this is always hard because I really am so thankful for people to bring their questions to me in these Q and A's. And then I, the last thing I want to do is to make a parent feel more discouraged. I want to, I want to be helpful. 
But at the same time, we just have to understand that, you know, it's not always the kids. It's usually something going on with the parenting, which is why I'm a parenting expert. And that's why I work with the adults. I do sometimes work with the, with the youth and, and kids, but mostly I work with the parents. So what's going on when you listen to him about why he's unhappy with you guys? When kids can't get things done through ch- normal channels, through normal conversations and communications, that's when they go underground. That's when they start to go rogue. So it's if you say, um, you know, can I go to so-and-so's house? And the parents say, no, we don't like that boy. He's a bad influence. You need to stay home and do your homework. Then since you you tried, you gave it your best shot at doing it upright and honest, but if your parents thwarted you, then what smart child wouldn't say, well, they're never going to go for that answer. I've tried that before. Um, so instead, I'm going to say, hey, I'm going over to Haley's house. She's going to help me study for algebra. And you're like, oh, okay, we like Haley. We like her parents. Algebra is a good subject. I know you're falling behind. Studying is a good way to spend your evening. And then you go over and see your other friend. So, so children lie when they can't get their needs met through proper channels. So I would just check in around, you know, in your um, work on dissolving power struggles and and redistributing power in the family now that he's 16. He's not two, he's not four, he's 16. He's got two years left under your house. He needs a lot more autonomy. But at the same time, you know, yes, you know, you've, you, I, I agree that, that you need boundaries and that it's not a boarding house. I completely agree. But how do we get him to to want to be a contributing member of the household? Um, you know, I was, uh, I, I think a good way to compare it is when we have power dynamics where the parents are in the superior power position, the child feels that they're in the underling oppressed position. It, when we start to ask them, like, you know, can you load the dishwasher and can you, you, you know, take the dog out for a walk and, and all these things that are sort of typical chores that kids would do around the house or contributing to the household because, you know, it's not a boarding house. People are expected to do things. Um, it's really on how it lands with the child and how it, how it comes across. It tells me a lot about the invisible power lines that you might not be aware of. Because if you lived on a commune in Costa Rica, everybody would say like, oh, I can't believe we get to live in this commune. And some of the people help garden and some of them do the cooking and some do the teach the kids in the Montessori school and everybody pitches in, but we all get to support each other and we can all live rent free if we all help each other out. And everyone's happy, happy, happy. Contributions are appreciated and they're thankful. And that is an egalitarian, mutually respectful system. And everyone willingly goes out and do their job in the morning. Nobody's being punished in a commune because you didn't do your stuff. Whereas if you think about when the power structures are more hierarchical, it's a little bit like, you know, okay, so now you actually own the plantation and you've got slaves and you're telling them to go out and pick the cotton. And, uh, you know, that's how kids feel. They feel like indentured servants um that are being made to do and they're not there of their own free will and they're not contributing their efforts of 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 seeing the reasonableness of everyone needing to pitch in and so if you can get that invisible power to get more egalitarian and you get more mutual respect and you get more closeness in the relationship the goodwill and wanting to help out and contribute um is going to show up so it's sort of um it's sort of a meta thing now there's certainly there are some tactical things that you can do I mean, I think that's the bigger work to be done. Um, like I said, it's the difference between sort of level one change versus level two change. 
So you've made some tactical changes, which has been helpful and you're not getting into so many power struggles, but the level two change is like that under the iceberg. Like, can you really share power with this guy? Can you really become a more democratic family? So have you got your family meetings? Have you gotten rid of punishment? Have you gotten rid of judgment? Do you let him make mistakes and let him be accountable? Have you let go of, you know, whether or not he, you know, does well at school? Like it's a lot of letting go and trusting him to manage. I hope that doesn't sound too permissive, but um, yeah, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, Allison. You've helped us so much in the past, addressing our exasperated pleas via the podcast and the chat room on Zoom. I'm hoping to send a few questions for your next Q&A session. Yes, great. Um, we have spoken about our triplet girls before they turn five next week. Can you believe it? Uh, one continues to develop into a little woman of her own mind. However, we're having some challenges with her defensive nature. She's very kind, thoughtful, and independent. Just yesterday, she organized breakfast champagne for my birthday. This consisted of sparkling water in plastic flutes. I think all the girls have inherited my love for an occasion. In the midst of the excitement, she knocked over her sister's champagne glass, as regularly happens in such situations. She fired into defensive mode, saying, I didn't do that. It's your fault, and got very mad and upset. This is a fairly common uh, occurrence. I don't want to resort to blame, but I just want her to feel more confident and comfortable enough to take responsibility for her actions or mistakes. And usually we don't make a big deal of it, suggest that she go get a cloth and we can clean up together, but she continues in this defensive nature and refuses to clean up. She may eventually clean up or we just need to move into the next thing so that so someone else does it. I love your thoughts and advice on how best to help her and her actions a bit more. Um, well, I think she's your eldest and eldests tend to want to do right, do good. They tend to be more perfectionistic. They tend to be more uh, rigid and rule bound, and they tend to be a little bit more phobic of making mistakes. They compare themselves more to parents than, and they've had their life, their early years on the planet, you know, before their siblings came along to to be sort of join the marriage. And so they compare themselves more to the gentle giants. And so they can have a harder time when things don't go well, they a harder time with mistakes because of that perfectionism, because of those early childhood experiences. And, um, you know, using defense mechanisms is, is a psychological um, 
phenomena. It was Freud who came up with all the all the different, um, you know, dif- he had a whole list, a whole list of things that we do psychologically to protect the ego because he was all about the ego. Um, as a sidebar, Adler and Freud disagreed on the concept um, in so much that um, Adler did not believe that we were divided into id, ego, and superego. He believed we're one united front, whereas Freud posited in his theory that those things were separate entities and that they could be at war with themselves. And Adler said, no, we are we are holistic and everything uh, works in a singular harmonious direction. You just need to understand, you know, the the inner workings. But this idea of a defense mechanism, which is, you know, I can't I can't tolerate the idea that uh, uh, I've done something wrong. And um, so I'm going to protect myself from that ego bruise. And uh, so I am going to blame you. And um, so not my fault. I, I didn't do that. That was someone else's fault. That is an ego protecting mechanism there. So, you know, to your point, why, why, why is the ego so fragile? Why can't she handle that she might be a perfectly fine child who makes mistakes like everybody else, rather than ascribing this negative attribute to mistakes, which is interestingly kind of comes back to the first question of the podcast today. And I'll just tell you, it's such a big part of everybody's psychological makeup, our relationship with mistakes. Um, and so I love what you're saying is, you know, that you get her to clean it up and, uh, which I think she should do. So even I don't need her to give a full confessional. I might just, you know, say, Oh, it doesn't really matter, but you know, here's the cloth. You can get that looked after. Um, but I, 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 if she has made the mistake, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask her who's done it or, or who didn't. I would just stick with what I know, which is, you know, it needs to be cleaned up and, and um, here's your towel and get that done and then hold her accountable. You know, she uses her defense mechanisms and then lo and behold, if she gets all upset about it and dysregulated about it, then other people say like, oh, let's just get on with the day and they do, they clean up her dirty work and they accept responsibility for her mistakes. I don't want to get her off the hook like that. I'm like, I don't care if you clean it up now or you clean it up tomorrow or, you know, that spill's still on the ground. Um, You know, let me know when it's all looked after before we move on to cake or cookies. At some point, the rubber's going to hit the road where where they're going to realize, oh, nobody's buying it. Whether I spilt it or not, you know, we're not going to move on to cook cake and cookies until this is cleaned up. So I best do it right now. She's like, ha ha ha. I can blame other people. And if I refuse to take accountability for it, eventually people will cave and somebody will step up and clean up my dirty work. And I don't think that's a good thing to teach a kid. So hold on to more accountability. And then in terms of, um, you know, the, the other proactive kind of things, this is really where the Adlerians talk about the fact that all misbehavior comes from feelings of insecurity from a child who is discouraged. And that means that the universal antidote is to learn to be an encouraging parent. And I've got so many resources on my website, but encouragement is, it's not just, it's not praise. Um, it's not the absence of punishment. Encouragement is, is an experience of being in a relationship with somebody who you feel seen, feel heard, feel unconditional love and regard that you've got somebody who that really tells you that right now, as you are, you're everything you need to be, that you've got this. Um, I have faith in you and faith in you to learn, not to be perfect, not to be great, but just faith in you to, to manage. Um, 
And it's a really, it's an unconditional, beautiful, ex- radical acceptance. It's a beautiful feeling. And maybe dig around through your memory. Did you ever have somebody in your life, a teacher, a coach, a grandparent, or somebody who was your special person? And what did they do? What feelings did they elicit in you? And what would need to happen for you to act in ways that that could be an experience with your child, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, next uh, up is my next child. Uh, she has many uh, quirks in terms of dressing and delaying the whole morning routine before she is also very possessive of her things. And she has taken to hoarding her half her wardrobe and her belongings into her bed. Just the other night, I went in to say goodnight and she was clinging to the edge of her queen bed. But when we try to encourage her to put things away, we have gotten her her own wardrobe so that she can have a dedicated space. She sometimes complies and other times goes crazy, especially if we try to clean up when she's not there. I've tried explaining the logic and everything, having a place so that she can find things when she wants them, but it doesn't seem to be having any impact on the general chaos of her room. I love any pearls of wisdom that you have for that. I would just say, you know, stay in your lane. You've done your part. You know, when I talk to parents about like take time for training and then uh, hand over responsibility and never do it for a child, what a child can do for themselves. You've given her a room. You've given her clothes. You've given her a wardrobe. You've you've shown her where things need to go. Um, After that, you've done all the education. This is not the difference between a kid who can't. This is a kid who won't for whatever reason, chooses not to. Why does she choose not to? Well, I don't know. Who knows why that's not a value to her right now, but when she goes crazy, when you touch her stuff, it may well be that it's because it's her room and she likes things a certain way. And just because it's not the way that you like it, um, it's the way she likes it. Um, You know, think about cleaning up somebody else's desk. If you came in and cleaned up my desk and you thought that you were doing me a favor, I would be furious. I would be so lost because I have a way that I like my files and I can see them and I know where they are and I can put my finger on them. But if you stack them up and you put your own sortation order on them, now I'm lost, now I'm confused. I don't know your systems. I have a system. Now her system looks chaotic to you, but it's her system. So I think, you know, to, to it's very different to say, would you like some help cleaning up your room or would it be reasonable if every Saturday we kind of got things a little bit tidy and caught up um, so that it's not so overwhelming? Like you could, kind of approach it that way. But if you think, well, she's at school, I'm going to like get her on top of this. uh, So she's not so overwhelmed. She's not having it. She's speaking up and she's letting you know it's not okay. Um, But really, you know, she, I think when it comes to people who hoard and um, unless she's like truly a hoarder, which I'm not believing she is. um, But sometimes when, when we take control away from children, Um, when we force them to share or um, when they lose control because maybe, you know, when they were a kid, they had to be restrained while they got needles because of some medical thing in the hospital or something like that, where she might've felt that she was really out of control. Um, It might be that there's a compensation for that where they really need to feel in control and they really need to have things kept near them. So I would, I would say that less is more and she'll probably ride this out if you can just back out of that and not be so just, you know, oh, I trust you to look after your, your room the way you like. And it looks like you really like your, your room a certain way. And we'll stay out of your business as long as we can get a vacuum and we're not getting roaches. I think we'll be fine. Maybe Saturday we can just spend five minutes together and see if we can't get it a little bit picked up for the week, if that would be helpful. Just keep it really on the lowdown. 
And then finally, a question about the baby who's two years old and eating meantime. Can, um, the mealtime can turn into a standoff where we are trying to encourage her to eat, example, spaghetti bolognese, and she wants strawberry yogurt. The other night, we sat for one and a half hours. She ate some, but there was always an upset, and finally, um, we compromised on natural yogurt after. Any tips on healthy mealtime habits and treats association would be appreciated. Well, um, what I would say is, what we want to do is, we, like I said, in a, in a democratic family, which is the Adlerian model, um, you always have a say, but you don't always get your way. So if you're having problem with food choices, if you're having trouble with TV choices, if you're having trouble with bedtime, if you're having trouble with whatever punctuality, whatever it is, when you're having trouble in the family, all stakeholders need to come together to solve the problem together. It's never one child, it's a system problem. So you wanna give some little input and say, well, it doesn't look like family meeting, family meals are, are working for you. We're making things that you don't like. Um, and then everybody's sitting around for an hour and a half waiting for people to, to eat and, and it's not working. We've, we've, we've got to find a better way. And you invite the kids into the conversation at family meetings about how can we do this better? And you can say, I'm happy with you having yogurt. I'm just concerned you're not getting enough of the other proteins. How can we make it that you get your yogurt, but you also get your protein and mom doesn't cook a meal for more people than are willing to eat it? You know, how do we, how do we solve that problem? And I know this child is only two, but there's older siblings in the family. And, and so I'm putting it out as a group think tank and the two-year-old might say a thing or two um, but in the end what we kind of want to end up with was something where everybody had a conversation the stakeholders had an opportunity to influence the group the group came together in consensus to come up with a plan that you're going to try for a week or two and then circle back and see whether or not people like it but the idea is is that we the time for input on food is, is you know, whenever mom's doing the planning or dad's doing the planning or whoever's doing the cooking, so that you can say you had a voice, you had a say, this was the time, it's been decided that Wednesday night was spaghetti bolognese, you can see it on the schedule, everybody agreed to that, and so I'm really sorry that you want yogurt, um, but it's not on the meal plan for today, so you can have spaghetti bolognese or you can have nothing. So the child is actually being asked to make the accommodation. You're not withholding food, you're withholding their choice. So you're saying that's not on the list, that time has come and gone. So if you would like to eat, then you need to decide that you'd like spaghetti bolognese or to pass altogether, but not to just on the fly, expect mom to be a short order cook or to have overcooked for so many people that aren't actually eating the meal that the time for deciding has come and gone, that you're being disrespectful to mom, to the family resources. And when you live in a community, when you live in a herd, when you live in a, in a, in a people pod, you live in a family, you have to understand the give and take of social living. That's what social interest is about. And it's not socially interested to demand a different meal from everybody else and to put other people out in order to satisfy your best interests. Um, you need to you need to go along with the group, not to be a patsy, um, but to 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 go along in order to recognize that this safe tribe is going to make sure that my needs are going to be met later, too. So I'll take one for the team today because I don't really want spaghetti bolognese. But when it's time for me to pick something and I have a voice and a say in the appropriate time when we're doing meal planning and I say I want to have yogurt, someone's going to figure out, oh, yep, you know what? You had the spaghetti bolognese and you didn't really want that and you really want yogurts with strawberries. We've got that scheduled for Friday so that they understand that you will be heard and you will get your needs met, not by demanding, not by forcing everyone to sit. 
So I would offer her the spaghetti. I would say the yogurt is not a choice. And that um, if she doesn't eat dinner when everybody else is dismissed from the table at a regular time, how long does it take to eat spaghetti? 20 minutes. So dinner 20 minutes long and then, then excuse her and clear up the table. I wouldn't sit for an hour and a half. I wouldn't sit. She's holding a hostage. She's feeling very powerful about that. Ha ha ha. What are you going to do? She's controlling things. Uh, she's controlling people's time. She's controlling the family evening hour. It's that is inappropriate power for a two year old. So I would uh, just say dinner is from six to six thirty. Dinner tonight is spaghetti bolognese. Um, I make my grow. I make my meal plans on Sunday. I'll check in with you to see what you would like when, and we can discuss that on Sunday. But this has already been decided. This is dinner, and um, you can have it or pass. Totally doesn't matter to me. And at six thirty, we'll just take away whatever portions haven't been eaten. Boom, boom, done. Yeah, but you got to do it with that kind of calm, unangry, unangry voice. Okay, so I hope this has been helpful. I just realized there was a second page and another question, but I think for the length of the podcast, I will save that for the uh, for the next time. So um, happy parenting, everybody. Go out and enjoy the beautiful weather here in Toronto. It's like 29 degrees, so uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting outside myself. Enjoy. Take care. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.